You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Every day, we all have that opportunity to pray for each other. Every single day, there's not one of us that can't do it. We might have different roles in a church body or in the family or different things or out of workplaces that limit us to what we can do and can't do and should do and shouldn't do, some things like that, but we are all able to pray. And not one of us is more qualified to pray than another. Paul also continually prayed for the Colossians, as we read a couple of weeks ago in the first few verses of this chapter. I'm inviting Justin Brock to jump up here and join me, if he would. He recently had a chance to get right now. <laughs> I have to go haul him over there. I have to get Cotter to get him up here for me. But he got to go up to Sturgis, and the whole point of it was to... Yeah, I know, you're just electrifying. Yeah. Um, but the whole point of it was to go up there, feed some people, and have opportunity to pray with people. So why don't you fill us in? I'm going to yeah. sit right here. Um, Make faces at you. <laughs> so the, it all started like 10 years ago. Um, I got saved, and and uh, Gary Watson said, Hey, man, I need you to come with me. We're going to Mardi Gras, and, and uh, we need a we need a worship leader. He wrote me in on this deal, you know. I didn't really leave much worship. I was down on the streets watching all this crazy stuff happen, you know. Um, and the verse that that really kind of stuck out to me, and I, I don't remember if it was my phone here. I don't remember if it was Gary or or Jess or Marcus or the all three of them uh, combined. But um, everybody knows John three sixteen, but three seventeen is it's like a like a, a key verse for me in in sharing the gospel. And it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And you know, these guys sorry Gary, but these guys like Gary and, and Jess Goff that used to be a church here and Marcus Pratt, uh, really showed me what that means to go out into the world. Um just to love people and um, there's a lot of condemnation going on all over all over the world today and we condemn ourselves so for me personally people don't need me the what I consider the worst of the worst Uh, condemning them I just need to love them and that's what we did in Sturgis. We went up there, um, drugged the cross up and down the street. Uh, from day one, we were up there for three nights. From day one, it started off kind of slow. People coming in, hey, what's what's the deal with the cross? You know, we would get to pray for them. Day two was like twice as many. Day three, people had seen us before, and the ones that were like standing back, going, "What in the world is going on here?" 
they were just it was a flood of people who are broken who are condemned by either you know another church group or their family or whoever or themselves they're just steeped in condemnation and um, I don't know the word the like they have no self-worth they have no hope and for for us as Christians to step into somebody's life and show them that there is hope that there is acceptance there is love in Jesus most people have never heard that or maybe they have heard it but the condemnation has overtaken that so I got a story there's a guy that uh, he was I think it was Saturday night we were walking the cross down the street and this guy is 36 years old he's a pipeliner he's he's up north working and uh, he told me he said he said I've never done anything like this before he said I've never been out to a big party like this and uh, he said I don't have any tattoos and uh, he said he said I, I went into this tattoo shop to get a tattoo and uh, he said the guy that was tattooing me was in a you know he was hungry he'd been tattooing all day and uh, he said so the guy wanted to take a break so he could go get a burger and eat so the guy was like all right that's cool you know so he walks out on the street bam there's the cross standing right there in front of him and he come up to me now this is before this is before we actually got to talk he come up to me and and he just in tears and he comes up and he shakes my hand you know and i'm got this big old giant cross and i'm like trying to you know hold the cross and shake his hand and uh, so i shook his hand and and uh i said man you need you know you need some prayer or whatever because i mean he's just broken he said no 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 he said uh he said man what you guys are doing is awesome he said you caught me by surprise he said but i just wanted to come out and say say thank you and uh so there's there's there was four of us so josh wagner uh come come alongside me and, and you know was trying to talk to the guy the guy didn't want nothing to do with anybody else <laughs> he he just wanted to, to come up and, and say thank you I even set the cross I'm like dude we can pray right here he said he said no no he said just keep going he said I, I, I'm busy I'm like okay I don't want to push anybody you know whatever so we kept going about four hours later it was I don't know 1 30 in the morning we come back by because we're we're leaving town. We're going back to camp, and uh, his tattoo is finished. He just happens to come out at the same time we walk by. <laughs> divine intervention, and uh, or divine appointment, and uh, so again he's just like, oh, you know, and so anyways I this time I'm I'm like. You know, you guys take the cross. You can go ahead and go to the truck. I want to sit here and talk to this guy for a minute. And uh, his whole thing was is is when he told me the story that he's 36 and he's never done anything like this before. He thought, man, you know, I just get a tattoo. He said, but I know God didn't want me to get that tattoo. And I was like, how do you know God didn't want you to get that tattoo? <laughs> you know, I mean, what makes you think God even cares about your tattoo? And he's like, 
well, because you guys show up every time I come out here from the tattoo place. <laughs> I'm like, no. No, we're showing up here because God's got your heart, and he knows that this is going to be an appointment for me and you. And so I started, I started sharing that verse with him, and the guy is so hung up on the condemnation. He's like, oh, but you're not going to tell me that you know, I'm going to hell because I got a tattoo? I'm like, no. Because I know a lot of tattooed people that are going to be in heaven. And so, anyways, I got to I got to pray with the guy. Uh, no, no major conversion right there at that moment, but uh, I think he he even told me he said, you know, I've never heard this stuff that you're saying that Jesus loves me, that Jesus wants a relationship with me, that Jesus wants to know me from the inside. Jesus wants all my little details, you know, all my all my hangups, all my hookups, all you know, all my stuff. Jesus wants all of that. I said, yeah, yeah. So that's the story. We just got as Christians, we got to be in that frame of mind that we're willing to serve people, no matter where they're at, no matter what's going on, no matter what they got. I got a lot more stories, but I'll stop now. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate you, man. Thought it'd be appropriate to hear the follow-up on that since we got to pray for him before he left. I'm going to scooch up here, I guess. <clears throat> Would you take a moment with me and just praise God for a few of the many prayer requests that he's answered here? I'm just going to name off some names, and most of you are going to know right what I'm talking about. Nolan Osmond. Amen. Praise God. Jack Hobbs. Hannah, Monica's daughter, broke her neck. And through prayer and God working through the surgeons, she's back at school and almost 100% just a couple of months later. The Wells family growing through adoption and fostering. The countless, feels like countless many surgical procedures that I've been made aware of that we have prayed for over the last several months of people who've had gallbladders and knee replacements and everything in every, you know, in between that they're healing and doing well. Some emergency that God spared and, and they're back and, and doing well now. Eight souls saved by grace that I'm aware of, and who knows if there are more in the last year and a half. By God's mercy and God's grace, this is me praising Him, not, not me, not Gary, not Tony. This is me praising God and giving Him thanks and giving you the chance to hear this because you don't always get to hear this or know these things. Many prayers even being answered for the Wilkerson's right now. Not the initial requests that we'd hoped, but he's still answering prayers nonetheless. And we will continue to praise him in those moments. And so as we think about prayer and the importance of it this morning, and we think about 
our opportunity to actually get to talk to our Creator, talk to the God who made us. What a... I mean, if you just stop there and think on that for a while, it should blow your mind. It should cause you to almost just want to drop to your knees and worship Him, because who He is and who we are, and we have the freedom through Christ to pray and talk to Him at any time, at any place. We don't have to set this grand appointment. We couldn't, we couldn't get an appointment with the governor. I mean, maybe some of you through Dirk or something like that could have that kind of pull. I don't. But let alone, I mean, who's the governor compared to God? Not that the governor is a bad person. I don't even know if it's a guy or girl, honestly. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll research that later. But who are they compared to God? If you're willing and able, would you stand with me as we read our passage this morning? Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. The beginning of this letter, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, verse 3 specifically, and now verse 9 today, Paul is specifically saying that he is praying for the saints in Colossae. Clearly, prayer is one of the central focal points to Christ being supreme in a believer's life. We've already covered that this letter, the premise of it is the supremacy of Christ. Period. There is nothing else, no one else, no other way. It's Jesus Christ. It is through him, because of him, and for him. And he is wanting to reiterate this to the Colossians, and, and here he is emphasizing prayer throughout this letter. Again, with Jim, they didn't have verses back then marked out, but within a couple of sentences of each other, he's mentioning prayer twice already to them, and how he is praying for them knowing that prayer is the primary way for them to understand and know that Christ is truly supreme. And in that, in those first few verses, we looked at, just to review very quickly, we looked at first that Paul desired and prayed for them all to be saints. He was praying and thanking God that they were, and then there was also a desire for them to become saints, choosing to believe and follow in Christ Jesus. And then as we do, we're really saints, Washed by the blood of the Lamb. No more condemnation, as Justin was just talking about. We're actually truly, really saints. Not because of what we're doing. Not because of our choices. But because of who He is and what He's done. Second, that we would grow in our faith in Christ and love for others. That we would 
not be stagnant in our faith, but that it would grow through our time in prayer. Prayer again, through our study of the Word, both personally as individuals, and then as we celebrate what we've done personally together each week here on Sundays. And then third, that as we grow, we would bear gospel-producing fruit, living out what we call around here the GC squared life, the great commandment, loving God, loving others, and the great commission where we go into the world and make disciples of Christ. So this morning, we're going to take an in-depth look of this specific prayer. So this is Paul saying, this is what I'm praying for you, and he's writing it out. Remember last couple weeks ago, we talked about how letting each other know that we're praying for them can be such an encouragement. Sometimes, actually typing up or writing out that prayer that you're praying for them and sending it to them can be like the next step of that. Letting them know, I prayed this for you. I know that as some of my brothers in Christ and friends have done that for me, it has been a tremendous blessing to know specifically what they're praying. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is letting them know specifically what he's praying. And in this prayer, he is praying specifically three different things for this faith family. First, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Second, that they would walk worthy of the Lord. And then third, that they would be strengthened with all power. So, first, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then one of the main reasons, as you remember, is the context of the letter of why Paul wrote it to begin with, is that some of the people in this town, in this city, in this church, in Colossae, over 1900 years ago, were spreading false beliefs, false teaching, they were listening to them. And this group that was teaching it, specifically what they were trying to get convince them of, is that matter is evil. So, you know, we all know what matter is, right? We remember that from science class, what, what is matter? That's tangible. This candle is matter. You know, this shirt is matter. The books that we are holding, we call the Bible, is matter. The book itself is not God's word. It's what he's written in it is, that is. Okay? So, we all are on the same page of what matter is. So, they're saying that matter is evil. Well, hopefully that throws a red flag in all of y'all's mind. God created, right? God created the heavens and the earth. He created matter. He created our bodies. He created the materials for which we make paper out of and what we make a candle out of and different things like that. And then salvation would only come through knowledge alone. And so the, the Greek word for knowledge here is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis. And later on in time, the group that believed this were labeled as Gnostics. Okay? G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Gnostics. So that's what's going on here. Why he's penning this letter to begin with. One of the reasons, anyways. And so Paul specifically praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul took this false belief head on in his prayer by the way he used these words. The original language in this is so much richer than our English language. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to go pretty in-depth in some of what this original language is saying because I believe that it really brings to life for us an understanding of what Paul's really saying here. So Paul, instead of using the word gnosis for knowledge here, he's 
using the word epinosis for knowledge. He's saying filled with the knowledge of his will, epinosis of his will, which means fuller knowledge. So, you know, when kids are like, well, yeah, my dad's better than yours. My dad's most is better than yours or, you know, whatever tantrum they're doing back and forth with each other. This is like what Paul is saying. And in essence, no, God's knowledge that I want you to be filled with is a fuller knowledge. It's a better knowledge. It's a mostest knowledge than what they're saying. Doesn't that just kind of bring it to light a little bit? Paul, it's not just knowledge, knowledge. Our word for knowledge is just always knowledge. But Paul here is saying, no, it's a greater knowledge. It's more. So he's praying that the Colossians would have a fuller knowledge of Christ and his will, an ultimate level of knowledge. Additionally, to using that word, and Paul doing some nifty Greek wordsmithing here, he's using a very intense language. So for us today, it would be like we capitalized the word or we put it in bold and underlined it. Paul is really wanting them to understand and know that he desires for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, the true, better, fuller knowledge. So a quick free side note right here. If you're one of those folks that emails or texts in all caps or in bold and you use exclamation points for everything, you do know that that comes across as very intense and yelling, right? Okay, just making sure we're... Okay, good. That was free. Back to Paul's prayer. But that's what Paul is doing here because he really means it. Paul petitioning to God that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're like, well, isn't that God's will? Well, when something is repeated or appears to be repeated and viable, then that means that it's like, no, really, I really mean this. This is as intense as I can verbally communicate this to you or as intensely as I can write this out for you. No, I really mean it. It would be like on his knees, intense. No, I really want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul does not specifically go into detail here. We will see it here shortly in the third part of his prayer. But what he is also referencing here and as he comes back around, is that this is through the Holy Spirit's guidance. That the Colossians are filled with the knowledge of God's will through the Holy Spirit's guidance. And we can look at other scriptures in John 14 and 1 Corinthians 2 and see that. But this is where Paul is going with this. Desiring, pleading, crying out in his prayer intensely that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would know the difference between the false teaching of the Gnostics versus what was true, the supremacy of Christ. One pastor summed it up like this, scriptures become the primary source of knowledge for the believer as they are studied in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what God has written in his word is our source for that knowledge. The Holy Spirit then guiding us, revealing it to us as we study. Do you pray before you open up the word? That God would reveal what he's wanting to communicate to you? 
It's a really good idea too if you're not. How can we, mortal man, understand what God is trying to say? The immortal. The beginning and the end. Who had no beginning. Who does not have an end. Without asking for his help to show us. Friends, are we praying to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for ourselves with all wisdom and understanding? Do we pray for each other in this way? Paul is giving us a very clear, well thought out, incredible example of doing this for this church in Colossians. And though he did it for them then over 1900 years ago, it applies to us every bit today something we should be praying for ourselves and each other. So as Paul continues his prayer, that their knowledge would then form into steps of obedience, a walk worthy of the Lord. Throughout the Bible, the word walk most often refers to one's conduct, not like how they walk. They got a swing or a gait or a limp. Or It's not talking about that. He's talking about their conduct and their life. You see, because knowledge and conduct are bound together. Our behaviors and our choices that we make flow out of what we believe, flow out of our knowledge. If you want to know why you do the things you do, you have to figure out what you believe. An example of this would be like a man or woman who claimed to know the seventh commandment in Exodus 27. The seventh commandment is this, that we should not commit adultery. Yet at the same time, that man or woman may choose to look at pornography, watch TV shows and movies with illicit scenes in them, read novels with adultery and affairs in them, listen to or tell perverted jokes, Participate in homosexual behavior, cheat on their spouse, have sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend, live with them, fantasize being with another man or woman, committing adultery, sexual immorality. That being any thought, word, or action of sexual nature that is not between a man and woman who are married to each other. So we can say that we are Christians and followers of Christ. Yet they know that this is wrong, and so they're saying they're a follower of Christ while not following Christ in this. So do they really know this? Do we really know this when we make these choices? What are we doing with our actions that shows what we really believe in our hearts? Instead, we should be fleeing or running from it, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6. And there is no, non, no condemnation, again, for those who are in Christ. He does forgive. He does show grace and mercy. And yet, as we believe Him and love Him, and do so more so, do so more so and grow in our knowledge in Him, our behavior should show that, if we really believe Him. Thus a walk worthy of the Lord. 
True spiritual knowledge, the kind that sinks down deep inside us, transforms our behavior. So do our lives look radically different from the rest of the world? What we say, what we watch, how we treat others, what we give money towards or spend money on. True spiritual knowledge and a walk worthy of the Lord, they go hand in hand. Now it is possible to have too much knowledge and it be all about it without it really sinking in deep and changing you. You can know all about the scriptures. You can know inside and out. You can know Greek and Latin and Hebrew and, and be able to dissect it and know all the nuances and the word pictures that it means and preach far better than I ever could. But if we fail to love God, and love others, love God by loving Him through our obedience, right? Loving others around us, failing to share his love with others? What do we really believe? It's also possible to never grow in wisdom and knowledge or spiritual understanding after being saved. We can be saved and be super excited and passionate and expressive in that and, and even be out witnessing. But if we're not growing in our knowledge, any hiccups in life, anything that comes along to trip us up, trial, temptation. We'll be flat on our face because we're not growing in our knowledge. Because we are not learning. It's not sinking in and changing who we are. True spiritual knowledge produces the fruit of godly conduct. A walk worthy of the Lord. A life pleasing to Him as it says. A life for when we are at the end of it and we are before our Savior. And he looks at us in the eye and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Godly conduct is only possible because of salvation. Through God, through the Holy Spirit. The third part of Paul's prayer is this, that as he requests to God through the Holy Spirit, who would be the source of their knowledge and walk, that they would be strengthened with all power. And again, back to the original language here, the way strengthened is emphasized here denotes a continuous and steady supply. It's not like a single burst. It's a constant, steady supply. If you, What comes to my mind in this moment is that it's like the engines that power a ship across the Pacific or the Atlantic. The weight and the displacement of the water that has to happen, the amount of power that it takes for those engines to propel that ship all the way across at a steady pace. That's kind of what's coming to mind here, that Paul is praying that they would be strengthened with all power, a constant, steady, continuous supply. A, a strength that would enable one to hold their position in the battle. The battle of trials and temptations. To not back down, to not retreat, but to stand firm. And then all of this according to God's glorious might. So in comic books and movies, the character Superman is portrayed as having a seemingly unending source of strength. If you've seen the movies or read the comics, able to even 
at times pick up and fly with small islands, able to stop a plane from crashing into a baseball field as it's hurtling out of control while in the air. I don't know how the physics work there in that, but somehow he's able to, according to the creators of this character in those movies. Defeating some of the most ridiculous bad guys ever imagined. But yet, if Superman were real, compared to God's glorious might, Superman would be like a house built on a sandy foundation, knocked over by the next big storm. Superman would be like a ship tossed about in the waves and sea and wind. Compared to God, Superman would be like a leaf blowing around like they're starting to now this time of year. Paul is praying here that the Colossians and all believers would receive a continuous, steady supply of strength according to God's glorious might. According to God's glorious power. Our brains aren't big enough to comprehend what God's power is. Take what you think is the most powerful and strong thing. Multiply it to infinity and you're still not there. And he is praying that for this saints, for these believers. A prayer that is echoing throughout the years to us today as believers. A prayer that we can pray for ourselves and for each other. I love what, again, looking into the original language where in verse 11 where it says his glorious might, the word for his is more than a personal pronoun here. It is a version of his that denotes the idea of a baffling wind. What else comes to mind when you think of wind in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit of his glorious might. A wind. We see the Holy Spirit described as a wind or breath in John 3.8 and John 20.22 20, and Acts 2.2. 2, 2. 2, chapter 2, verse 2, not 2. T-O-O. We must also note that the Holy Spirit is equal with God. Tells us that in John 15, 26, along with Jesus Christ, which tells us that in John 5, 18, Colossians 1. Thus, according to his glorious might, could be restated in a way of saying, by God, through the Holy Spirit, strengthened with all power by God's glorious might through the Holy Spirit. Two reasons that I believe that we should be praying this for ourselves, praying this for each other. And it says so right after this, in this verse, so that we can have great endurance and patience. Why? Because we fight against the powers of evil and darkness. To think there's not an enemy out trying to sabotage, steal, kill, and destroy is not growing in knowledge and wisdom. That is our battle. So when a situation or conflict occurs in our life where we are just really having a lot of feelings against another person, 
by God's grace through the Holy Spirit to think about that situation in a manner of, my battle is not against this person. My battle is against Satan and sin that is deceiving this person and or me. What's my part in this? To not react or respond in a way that is loving or pleasing to God. Thus, there is conflict. We fight against those powers of evil and darkness. It says that in Ephesians 6.12. In this life, there is trouble, there is loss, there is pain. There is suffering. We did a whole series on lament, covering that extensively recently. But, as it says in John 16.33, Christ has overcome. He has overcome that world. He has overcome that pain. He has overcome that loss. He has destroyed that trouble. And so we have some light and momentary afflictions that feel significantly more than light at times. But compared to eternity, Scripture says it that way because compared to eternity and knowing Christ and being in His His presence, the things we experience here and now will be light someday. They will be shadows fleeting leaves blowing through as they drop from a tree. And then in Matthew 24, Christ goes on to say, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Paul is praying for this strength and this power to have great endurance, patience, a mighty constant source of hope. The second reason, I believe, is in verse 12 so that we can joyfully give thanks. To joyfully give thanks. And we are able to do this when our focus is not on ourselves, but on our Creator. He is the one who is the source of all knowledge, wisdom, spiritual understanding. He is the one who enables us and strengthens us to live a life pleasing to Him, worthy of Him, When our focus is on ourselves, we are not grateful for God in these aspects. When our focus is on ourselves, we're not thankful for other people. When we recognize it is not about us and how needy we really, really are without God's saving mercy and grace, how can we not give thanks? To remind ourselves, like I did at the beginning of the answered prayers that God has done, When God answers a prayer, journal it. Write it down so you can come back to it and be reminded. Because there are times and there are seasons when you just can't think of them. Our brains quit functioning correctly because all we can see is the moment. And as we are able to look back and, and read what's been written, to be reminded, we see that. God tells us to do that. told the Israelites to do that. Remind your children and the next generation, the next generation, what I have done for you in bringing you out of Egypt and saving you. And in the New Testament, it is remind yourselves and your children and the future generations what Jesus Christ has done through his birth, life, death, and resurrection. Taking the focus off of ourselves and on him. being thankful to God. 
who saves us. An inheritance, as it says in verse 13 and 14, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God help us not be callous when we read that or hear that. He's rescued us. Transferred us into His kingdom. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of condemnation. It's like Paul is building on our statement earlier, we are strengthened with all power by God through the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, because of Jesus Christ. Right here. In Paul's prayer, he is saying, it is not about us. It is because of God. By God, through the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus Christ. Making it epinosis, fuller. I love the word picture for the Greek word of transferred in this verse. It's described as like a mighty king picking up a whole population and deporting it into another realm. whole population of those who choose to trust and believe in him as our Lord and Savior. Up and out of the domain and kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. An inheritance of salvation. Darkness where there is sin and shame, lack of purpose, no meaning in life. Despair, what is it for? Why? And then deported into the light where there's true and complete love, a grace for our wrongdoings. Help. Peace you can't describe even during the hard, difficult times. Where our longings that we have, our desires will truly be fulfilled. With Him. Those things we long for and wish for, or the things we stuff because we're afraid of longing for it and desiring it anymore, they'll be fulfilled there. Psalm 1611 At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. In His presence is the fullness of joy. It is by God through the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus Christ, we can have all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we can walk worthy of the Lord, a life pleasing to God, and we can be strengthened by His glorious might. Mightier than any imagined superhero or anything that we can potentially conceive. Let us praise our God, joyfully giving thanks in prayer and song, speech with our lives. And we can do so because we know He is the answer and He has defeated death even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of grief and loss, and even in the midst of suffering. We still choose.